Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved. And we need to get going now. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Carolyn Buck Luce, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Carolyn Buck Luce is one of America's most respected and accomplished voices on women's leadership and their relationship with power. Carolyn has long been an advocate for the healthcare innovations, cultural inclusivity, and women's empowerment through her work with some of the world's most respected companies like Ernst & Young, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, and GE. A gifted strategist and an executive coach, Carolyn has spent the last four decades of her career building highly effective cultures, businesses, teams, and leaders in both the public and private sectors. From Wall Street banker to world traveling diplomat, to healthcare futurist. Throughout her career, Carolyn focused on helping courageous leaders make the difference they dream of. A champion for women's leaders, Carolyn was appointed by New York City's Mayor Bloomberg to the New York City Commission on Women's Issues. She served as chair of the New York Women's Foundation and was named Woman of the Year in 2012 by the Healthcare Business Women's Association. Carolyn co-wrote several articles for Harvard Business Review, most of which were republished in 2019 in HBR's Must Read series on women's leadership and diversity and inclusion. Her writings have also been featured in Inc. and the Huffington Post. Carolyn served as an adjunct professor at Columbia University for a decade, teaching women and power, and is now a featured speaker every year at Berkeley Haas Business School's Women's Executive Leadership Program. Today, as an executive coach and keynote speaker, Carolyn uses her proprietary decade game to coach some of the world's most remarkable women today in business civic society, and philanthropy, to live their purpose and discover their destiny. Welcome, Karen. I'm so happy you're here with us today. It's so wonderful to be here. And uh, I just want to add that my greatest accomplishment is as a wife, a mother, and a grandmother. I love it. <laughs> so, just to get started, let me ask you, do you experience getting older? And if so, what is that experience? And if not, 
Why do you think it is that you don't? Well, I experience actually getting wiser as opposed to older because I think I get younger every year. I just turned 70 and I'm super excited about the fact that I know that the best decade is yet to come. So I think that's what keeps me young. And the wiser piece is clearly what gets deepened, I think. It's really interesting, Carolyn. I'm sure you've had this experience too. But at this point, I have talked to hundreds of women over 50, 55. And I'll bet you 98% of them say something like you just said about, I feel better than I felt. I do have some physical things that have changed. But other than that, I feel more me. I feel excited to go. Um, And I'm curious why our society hasn't caught up with how we actually are. Because the way we're portrayed oftentimes is not like we actually are now in in this time in our lives. Yeah, that's a great question, Sarah. You know, uh, here's the thing. Our society is locked into an old story where which is informed by archetypes of women, the damsel in distress, the victim, the femme fatale, the seducer, the witch, the crone. And it's just easier to fall into that archetype when we describe women in general. This is an issue that happens when we describe anyone in general, because we can always say, oh, yes, but I have a friend who's different. But then we forget that everyone is different and that the more personal, the more universal. And uh, I think that it's sort of lazy thinking to just fall back into that old story. Uh, the, uh, what I do find, though, is for women who do feel older, they are getting trapped into an old story as opposed to know that they have that they are the author of their own story and that they can choose a better story and then learn how to live into it oh that's wonderful do you i'm thinking about the archetypes i love that i've never thought of that before and i don't think the same thing is true for men i mean men can be young and old um and we certainly have um, archetypes for them, but not in the not in the the staid way that we have for women. I mean, it's not doom, 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 doom. well. Men have an archetype that uh, as they get older, they get better. Yes, <laughs> so maybe not physically, but when you think about, for example, Joseph Campbell's work, the hero with a thousand faces, where he sort of created the idea of the monomyth which is in every culture and all time, there is the hero's journey. And that's sort of one man against the universe. And age was never an issue. So you could be king, you could be knight, you could be wizard. And there were very positive archetypes. There aren't a lot of bad stories about men, except if they are evil. 
Except they're what? If they are evil. Yes. Okay. But if they're good men, they can be old good men just as well as they can be young good men. So they do have an archetype, but the archetype is all, as long as I'm alive, I'm good. So I have thought for a while, I love Joseph Campbell, and I think his hero's journey is very male. Um, has anybody written the female version of that? Well, I love that you've asked that. Um, I think some people have written it. Uh, however, I actually did some work on this myself. Uh, and I found some real distinctions between what would be in the heroine's journey versus the hero's journey. So let me just give you a couple examples. In the hero's journey, the men are off slaying the dragon that is in the way of humanity keeping us from being who we need to be and saving the world. In my ruminations, I think that for the heroine, the dragon has two heads. The first head is whatever is in the way of humanity. So we can slay that dragon just like the hero can. But the second head is all the people we love who are asking us to give up part of ourselves for them to be comfortable. And that the work of the heroine is to reclaim ourselves in order to be able to put those boundaries in place and be able to be the full sum version of our powerful self on purpose. The second thing I would just say as a distinction is in the hero's journey, it's one man against the universe. For women, we know it takes a village. Yes. And we are always together. And oh, by the way, we don't fight the good fight with weapons. We fight with insight and compassion. I love it. One of these okay. days I'll write that book. Okay. I was just I was just gonna say, please write that book. Are you writing that book now? Well, actually, the first version of the book I just wrote, Epic, the Women's Power Play book, was originally called The Heroine The Heroine's Journey for the 21st Century, Rewriting the Fairy Tale. And I got a lot of feedback that that would be an interesting book, but it would be derivative. And that I had something unique to say, and I should say it. And so the result is Epic, the Women's Power Play book. And it is a wonderful book. I love the book. And what we were just talking about is a different book. You are absolutely right. Yes. One, book, one book at a time. <laughs> <laughs> one book at a time. That's right. Okay, so in your book, you talk about the uh, decade game um, and that you have designed your life in decades. And you first started doing this when you created the game when you were eight years old. Tell us how that happened. 
you know, I, I actually, it was when I was eight, it was 1960. John F. Kennedy was running for president. We were in the middle of the Cold War. I was used to hiding under my desk in atomic bomb drills. And Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I was like, reporting for duty, sir. And here's the thing, Sarah. I think there's probably a moment for everyone, whether it was when they were five or eight or 10, where they woke up to the fact that there was a bigger world out there and that they could play a role. And so for me, it was eight. And two things happened when I was eight. I was very impressed by John F. Kennedy. And I felt that he was calling to me, creating the Peace Corps, the moonshot. And I had an experience that a lot of little girls have, which is I was molested by a stranger. And I had a choice to make. Am I the victim of, in my story or am I the heroine? And I chose the heroine. So then it, that gave me a sense of agency that it was up to me to figure out how do I be a hero like John F. Kennedy? And by the way, also like my mom, who was one of only two women in her law school class at the University of Chicago in the 40s and was you know, in civil rights and fighting for women and families. So that began a process of planning. And as far as I could plan at eight, was 18, going to college. That was, you know, for me, that was it. And I decided over time, I had to get ready for that moment. And I ended up studying Russian, going to Georgetown. And my first job was a diplomat in the Soviet Union in the 70s. So that gave me a sense that it was up to me to write the story. And I've been doing that every decade ever since. I love that story. How do you think that you were able at eight to think about, am I the victim or I the heroine? I mean, there are those of us who at 26, 36, 46 can't think that. How, did you, how were you able to think that? You know, I think that um, we all have a little voice in us that comes to our rescue and tells us, yes, we can. And I think it's important to find that voice, to think about when was it that you were able to do something hard and good and what was the what was the voice in your head at the time what was that story because we have both negative stories i am not enough i can't i won't i shouldn't and we have positive stories yes you can i am enough i am loved so to be able to isolate that positive story, you can call it back because we can't, you know, one of the, you know, I love the word courage 
It comes from the word heart, core. And it means to go forward with your heart in your mouth at times of doubt, fear, and uncertainty. And that's what heroines and heroes do. So I would wonder if part of how you were able to hear that little voice was because, I mean, a lot of you, but also your mother, who must have been a very valiant, strong woman. Absolutely. I mean, we definitely, uh, I think everyone has a role model, whether it's your mother, your father, a teacher, an older or younger sibling, um, that we latch on to. And then uh, I do think, I mean, I have to give credit to nature in the sense that I was born sunny side up. <laughs> you know, I've always been an optimist, but maybe it's because I'm a middle child. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but you can learn optimism. You really can. You know, I coach a lot of women. And, you know, sometimes the travails of life, the tribulations of life, really lay on you. And I've certainly had my share. Um, children being sick, a husband passing away from cancer. And, but the, if you can actually look back and see that the trials and the triumphs have brought you to where you are today, that they are the treasures that fund the future. And instead of getting stuck in one of those terrible events, to be able to know that you've got the power of the universe inside you. You know, that's why the book is called Epic, Not the Decade Game, even though it describes how to play the decade game and it gives you a lot of examples of women who have done it. I call it Epic because Epic, the actual meaning of the word, is just a long form story of daring do, daring to do. It doesn't mean the way it's currently understood in this patriarchal environment that we have, bigger than, better than, taller than, master of the universe, king of the hill. No, it, it's, it means a long form story of daring to do and for women to know that we have the power of the universe inside us that we have the power right now. We don't have to learn anything new. We don't have to acquire anything new. We have the power every day to discover meaning for ourselves and create meaning for others. Because we create life. We create miracles, whether you have children or not. It's in our DNA to know that we have that power. And that's epic. I love that, Carolyn. I, I I told you at one point that um, I have a, a membership community and we're using your book, Epic. And one of the things we've talked about is what does Epic mean? I mean, does it Epic, you know? And no, it doesn't necessarily, it can mean that, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. So 
I think it is a wonderful word and a wonderful word to recapture. Although I must say, I get tremendous pushback on epic. I'm sure you do. I get pushback on power, the word power. I get pushback on ambition, which is why I use those words. <laughs> right. Because I, I, I think it's so important for women to defang those words. Because that has, by if we can't defang them, if we're ambivalent about power, if we're ambivalent about ambition, if we're ambivalent about epic, then we're playing someone else's game. Right. And we're playing small. And we're playing small. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when I talk to women about, uh, they have, we all, women have, not all, but a lot of women have trouble with the word power. Say, well, what if you talk about influence? Influence is fine. Yeah, so let me, this is what I tell women. And this is why I created this course, Women in Power, that I taught for 10 years. I haven't met a woman, Sarah, who doesn't want to empower others. Okay, well, (laughs) then you better be as powerful as possible because all you're doing, you're giving your power on behalf of others. That's what's called empowering. And why not be as powerful as possible? But power is just a current. It's like electricity or water. It's not good or bad. It's just a force to be used. Well, why not use it for good? That's um, fascinating. I was at a, um, a, a, a meeting yesterday. And um, one of the things we were in small groups and I asked to talk about um, a lot of things. But one of the things was how how do you feel empowered or something right i forget exactly what something like that and every woman said by empowering other women in one way or another every woman said that until one woman said i feel empowered when i'm being all i can be and i said i love that you said that because i and everyone else had said empowered is giving um, which is wonderful, but that's what we as women do. And we give and we give and we give and we give. And many times we give in order for other people not to be uncomfortable. Yes. Or because we do other people's work and not give them the space to do their own work, including suffering, which is part of the work. Right. But it also is. Uh, to recognize that we've been, you know, what I say about women is we're all guilty and no one's to blame. We are, we've been leaking power at home, at work, in the world since we were five or six or seven, whenever we learned that it was about other people first. And we have these, we do have these stories of I'm not enough. Or I'm too much, which is just the opposite side of the same coin. (laughs) So what's important is is for women is to link this idea of power is just a current with also defanging ambition. Because ambition is just another word for a desire to learn and grow. That's it. A desire to what? Learn and grow. 
Yes. You know, we can all remember either because we have children or because we once were a child. Mommy, Daddy, look at me. Look what I can do. Hands up in the arm. Hands up in the air. That's ambition, a desire to learn and grow. And for women, whether you're 50, 55, 60, or 70 like me, or older, the desire to learn and grow is the fountain of youth. And that requires being ambitious. But we can reframe ambition just like we reframe the word power. Ambitious for what? Ambitious for a loving world. Ambitious for a beloved community. Ambitious for health. Ambitious for kindness. You can be ambitious for a lot of different things. You don't have to be ambitious about getting to the top. What I want women to do is be ambitious about getting to the center of what is their essence to recover their power, to uncover their purpose, and to discover their destiny. A lot of your work has to do with uh, working with uh, women and leaders, and I'm curious about what you've learned about being a leader at home, at work, and in the world, all at the same time, that is most helpful to you now, and how has that changed over the years? Well, that's another great question. Let me just, um, I think the bottom line that I've learned is that it's not about me. And let me give you an example of that. So I think we have different stages in life. We start as children, then we move to adolescence, then we're adults, and adults have different stages in them. Head of household, warrior in the world, etc. And then we move to elder. And last, there's essence. And what I've learned is you can't skip any of those stages. You can't get from adolescence to elder without being a great adult. And you can't get to essence from warrior without going through elder. And that requires your leadership to shift. So let me give you uh, an example. In my decade game, 50 to 60, midway through that decade, My husband at the time, an amazing human, a minister in New York, was diagnosed surprisingly with three months to live. Now, he said to me at the time, Carolyn, I'm the battlefield, you're the general. Go do your work. And he ended up living three years. And in that time, I spent a lot less time at work as opposed to with him with his children, with his mother, with the congregation of the church, helping him navigate. It turned out to be my three best years at work. Why? Because I learned how to get out of the way. I learned how to be, share my vulnerability. I learned how to ask for help. I learned to trust my team. 
And I learned that I didn't need to be the one with the answer. So every stage you learn new things. Um, my 60 to 70 decade, I really had to change my relationship with ambition so that ambition didn't show up as rock star, that ambition showed up as servant. I'm now 70. I recently got a diagnosis of lymphoma. Um, I have set my decade game for 80. And I know that my work now is to change my relationship with time uh, so that I can really live in the present fully. So leadership is a beautiful journey. And it changes as you get wiser. You think good leaders, and by good leaders, I mean um, in organizations, the organizations, companies, nonprofit, whatever they are, are successful. And they're also well run and employees are well taken care of. And, and so are vendors and contractors and the environment so that the company, the organization is totally successful, not just bottom line. Do you see any differences in leaders now of those kinds of companies than 10, 15, 20 years ago or not? Yeah, I do. You know, I think there are three critical operating systems for companies. It requires you to have the right hardware, the right software, and the right what I call heartware. <laughs> and I think that over the decades, it used to be a focus on hardware. And then we hit, that was the industrial age. And then we hit the information age. And there was more of a focus on the software. And now we're in the imagination age. And it, I think it requires more of a focus on hardware. And for the leaders who know how to run those three operating systems and don't privilege one over the other, they will be the successful companies. Do we have any proof of that yet? Well, I can't answer that question for you because one of the challenges is we don't have the right measurements. Exactly. Exactly. I was just, we were, a group of us were talking the other day about we've got to start, and, and somebody tried, some different people have tried to do this at different times, but it just doesn't seem to catch on. Measuring the total cost of goods produced and sold, the total cost, including what it costs the environment to get to, manu to manufacture and to get rid of, what it costs the employee to do the kind of work that was necessary, you know, the whole the whole bag. And we we don't do that yet. We don't. And I was a banker for many years. And then I worked for an accounting firm. <laughs> so we don't. But I will. I, I, here's the. Here's three things that I would love. I would love to take what has been traditionally the ratios we use to measure financial performance. So I would like to say instead of ROI, return on investment, I would call it ROI, return on intention. 
And then instead of ROA, return on assets, I would like to call that return on attention. And then ROE, instead of return on equity, return on engagement. If we had the right intentions and gave attention to what our intentions were, and then made sure that everyone we worked with, all stakeholders, were engaged in our mission and our way of doing work, that could be magical. So what is next for you, Carolyn, in addition to the heroine's journey? In addition to that book, what is next for you? What dreams haven't you realized? What do you see in the immediate and longer term future or in the next decade? Well, here's what's interesting. When people tell me they're trying to figure out what comes next, I tell them that's the wrong question. So I always um, plan for how I will know myself and be known by the people who love me and the people who count on me a decade from now. Yes, you do. That's right. And then what I say as, you know, good design thinker, that you can't get there from here, but you can get here from there. So I've now created my decade game for 80 and answered the question, wouldn't it be cool if I knew myself and was known by the people who love me and the people who count on me? as a generational restorer naming the dances that are longing to happen. The generational restorer naming the dances that are longing to happen. I'm not even sure what that means yet, but what I do know is that every day when I make my choices, I will say, well, what would the generational restorer do here? And that's that's the job. And uh, it, uh, so I'm very excited about the next decade. Yes, it probably will include the heroine's journey, rewriting the fairy tale. Um, and uh, I'll let you be one of the readers. Oh, yes, please. Okay, so that is our time today. Um, Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcasts on all major outlets. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Carolyn Buckloose. And Carolyn, if people would like to find you and get in touch with you, how can they do that? They can write to me at Carolyn at mydecadegame.com or they can also go to mydecadegame.com website or epicwomensplaybook.com any one of those ways you can find me and I will answer you okay thank you so much and thank you all for being with us take care spread tolerance and love Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, 
go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world.